We are making our way through the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles or your iDevices or whatever you use, um, we are breaking into John chapter six this morning. And I think we'll be in John six for four weeks or so. There's a lot of like really epic stuff going on. We got uh, the feeding of the 5,000 a day. We got walking on water next week. We've got uh, the bread of life the next couple of weeks. So we'll just kind of be scratching the surface this morning. I'm gonna pray for us and then uh, we're gonna dive in. Father, I thank you so much for uh, this morning and the opportunity that uh, we have uh, to be together and to worship you, to be together and um, to talk to you in prayer uh, together to dive into your word. But I love that together part. I thank you that we get to be together. Um, I thank you that um, not only do we need each other, not only have we been designed to do life together with one another, but we, we have these opportunities. And, and so I pray this morning as we dive into your word together that you will be our teacher, that you will uh, move past my limitations for communication and move past some of our limitations to um, receive teaching and that you will teach our hearts, that you will teach our minds. Uh, we need to hear from you today. And I pray that as you speak, we will hear you in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Yeah, amen. Uh, so, um, I don't know about you, I love to make uh, pros and cons lists. And that's been like my practice for many, many years. Uh, when I have to make a big decision, when I have to figure something out, uh, back in the old days I'd take a piece of paper and I'd just draw a line from the top to the bottom in the middle, right? Pros on one side, cons on the other, and just begin to list those off. There's something about that process that's been helpful for me. A lot of times in life it's required uh, getting a calculator as well and kind of crunching the numbers and figuring stuff out. And there's something about a pros and cons list. A lot of times it just brings some real clarity. Sometimes it, it doesn't. Um, but when I think about pros and cons lists, probably like you, you may be able to think of some, some times in life when you had some pretty epic decisions to make. Uh, I was thinking back this week, uh, when I was in high school, um, I was told, hey, I could go to school anywhere I wanted and it would be fully paid for as long as I went to a state school and as long as I got an MBA. So, you know, as long as I did that, it was all paid for. And of course, I really felt like God was uh, leading me to go to a private Christian college and I was basically told, you can do that, it's your life, but it's all on you, you're gonna have to pay for it. And I remember sitting down one day making a pros and cons list with a calculator and it did not work out well on that list. I mean, I remember looking at it and going, there's no way that I can go to a private Christian college and afford that. It just it didn't work out. Um, after I got out of college, I moved up to the Pacific Northwest. I was uh, dating Christy and I thought, you know what, I really want to marry her. Uh, I think that you know, it's a God's plan for us to be together. And I remember sitting down and working on a pros and cons list. So, so here's the, there were some cons. Like I was uh, going to school full-time, going to seminary, and uh, I had a job as a part-time youth pastor. I was making 600 bucks a month, and I was paying $250 a month for rent. So I didn't really actually need a calculator for that, but I could figure that out. I was in school and, and she was in school, and I remember kind of working all that out, and on paper, it did not look 
really good. Uh, I remember some years after that, that being a youth pastor over in Vancouver, got approached by Gateway, hey, you wanna come over here, be our senior pastor? I remember making it, I, I remember that, I made probably 25 pro and con lists about that. that was a, coming over here was a really hard one because that's kind of going from what I knew to something I didn't know. My wife was teaching at the time. She was quitting her job because our first child was coming along so we're gonna have less income and we needed to get a house and all that. And I remember just going through the whole thing and going, it doesn't make any sense. And not just financially, I mean, I, I had no experience doing this thing. I had preached twice in my life and just it, the cons were huge and the pros were very few. Uh, about 13 years ago, I remember um, making a pros and cons list about going to Nicaragua. So we had had an annual trip to Nicaragua for years as a church. And every year I would think about it and every year I would make a pros and cons list and every year the, the cons list was just so huge. I'd be like, I can't go. And, and some of the stuff on the cons list was like, you know, I didn't have the money, um, I, I didn't like flying, uh, I didn't really like um, humidity, and there was a lot of that. I liked getting my sleep, and there wasn't a lot of that on the trip. But I could tell you one of the things, and, and language was another one, the language barrier. But a big one for me, to just be honest, was I, I really had convinced myself that um, there are really two kinds of people when it comes to missions work. There are people who can go, and there's people who shouldn't go. And I just thought I was in that, I shouldn't go. I'm not geared for it, I'm not made for it, and I convinced myself of that. The, the cons list was, was huge. Um, last fall, uh, you may remember if you were here, uh, I, the church down in California had asked if it would be possible for me to come down in a 10-week period and, and preach three times. Um, their pastor, who's a friend of mine, uh, had stage four colon cancer, was going through chemotherapy and, and surgery. And I remember looking at my schedule and thinking, like, it is right up against Christmas. There's no way that's gonna work. There's no way I can make that happen. Um, by the way, I, I did all of those things that I've talked about, and, and all of them worked out great because they all had one thing in common. It didn't matter how many cons there were on the list, there was one uh, pro that trumped them all, and that is that it was God's agenda. It was God's will for me to go. It, it's that one pro that kind of surpasses every con and and though none of it really added up i can tell you this god provided every single time and not just some but he provided abundantly and i say that because today we're coming to the feeding of the five thousand actually more properly the feeding of the approximately five thousand uh, besides the resurrection it's the only miracle recorded in all four gospels so it's the kind of thing we might sit back and think God might have something for us to learn here. I'm gonna just kind of dive into the story in John chapter six, verse one. Uh, as, as Caden read this morning, we read this. Now after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. So it begins, chapter six begins with the phrase after this. So we know that this is the second of, of three Passovers in John, and there's a little speculation about uh, what just happened in John chapter five. So depending on you know, what, you, what you think happened in John chapter five, this is either picking up the story six to 12 months after the passage we read last week. So a little time has taken place. Little background is Jesus sent the 12 disciples out on a, on a training mission, two by two, 
and they went around calling people to repent, preaching the gospel, casting out demons, uh, healing people who were sick, and during that time, Jesus' fame has really begun to spread. He's been working miracles and teaching and attracting large crowds. And we find some additional information to our story today from Mark chapter 6. And it tells us this. Now the apostles returned from their, from their kind of missions trip, their little mini training trip. They returned to Jesus and they told him all that they had done and, and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and, and let's rest for a while. For many were coming and going, notice the description, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So Jesus and the disciples, it's been busy, uh, they're exhausted, they've been traveling and ministering and teaching. It says there's a constant flow of people, no time to rest. In fact, they didn't even really have time to eat properly as one writer said they have been peopled to death and Jesus says let's just get away for a couple of days and get some rest and spend some time in prayer and have some downtime sounds like a great plan and we also know that right about this time Jesus has been informed about uh, the death of John the Baptist Herod had him beheaded and and then there's this kind of weird story about after John the Baptist is beheaded, um, Herod hears about Jesus' ministry and what's going on, and he thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist come back from the dead. And so Herod's kind of freaking out and afraid, you know, is, is, he, is he coming after me? Uh, and so Jesus moves to a location, uh, interestingly enough, that's just outside of Herod's jurisdiction. There's a lot of debate about whether that was on purpose or not. But continuing on in Mark chapter 6, verse 33, it says, now many of the crowd saw them, that is Jesus and his disciples, going, that is in a boat, and they recognized him and they ran there on foot um, from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw this great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. So Jesus and his disciples, uh, they attempt to take a retreat They're gonna take this boat across the lake, but the way the story reads, the crowd see them get in the boat and take off, and they figure out where they're going, and so they they run along the shore, and they get to where Jesus is gonna land before he gets there. And so just kind of picture, can you? Like, they just wanna get away for a couple of days, and as they're coming into shore, the disciples are like, what's that? And it's all these people that are just waiting for them as, as they come ashore. It'd be like, have you ever come home from work at the end of a really exhausting day or exhausting week or exhausting time at school and you get home and you sit down on the couch and the phone rings and you look at it and you know it tells you someone's calling that if you pick up that phone, that's the rest of your evening, right? Have you ever done that and wrestled with that? You probably haven't, you just answer the phone, right? But some people would be like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can do this, right? And John tells us why the crowds were following Jesus in verse two of our passage today. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So they're not following him because they believe he is the son of God. Uh, or for some theological conviction that they have about him, or to worship him. It's not like he's gonna come ashore and we're gonna give him the worship that he deserves, but because he's a miracle worker, and they would like some miracles. Next verse, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. 
Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So there's a, a confluence of stuff going on here. It tells us that the Passover feast is at hand, and the Passover feast would, would celebrate Israel's exodus from Egypt. So they would be thinking back, but this is a big part of their national identity, and they would be thinking about how God had delivered them from slavery to the Egyptians, and it would give them hope that God was gonna send them another Moses because they felt like they were in the same place again, but now instead of Egypt, it's the Roman Empire. And, and we're told that the Passover feast was a very nationalistic time. It would kind of be like our, our 4th of July because they would be thinking about a time when they were free, when they were independent, and they were hoping for that again but it also combines with kind of a spiritually heightened time comparable comparable maybe to Christmas or Easter around here where people are thinking a lot about well at least a lot of us are thinking about you know the birth of Christ or or the resurrection of Christ and people were hearing about Jesus and and talking about Jesus and they were starting to wonder is this the guy is this the Moses that God said that he would send to, to set our people free so despite Jesus' exhaustion, we're told that he teaches the crowd all day long, back in Mark chapter 6, verse 35. And when it grew late that day, his disciples came to him and they said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late, so send the people away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So the whole day has gone by and, and the rush to follow Jesus along the shore, apparently the people didn't have time to pack a lunch and they're, they're getting hungry, they're getting hangry at this point, right? And the, the disciples tell Jesus, you know, we're tired and you're tired and you've been working all day and it's getting late, so you need to tell the people to go. Like they need to go eat Send them into town, or Burgerville, or Don Pedro's, or something, right? And I love and mark what it says. Jesus answers them, you give them something to eat. Right, so he just turns around, he says, no. No, let's not send the crowds away. Why don't you feed them? Now, back in John, we pick up the story. He says, now lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus says to Philip, where, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this in order to test him for he himself knew what he would do. So he, he asked Philip, hey, where can we buy some bread? Philip's from Bethsaida, which is really close by, so he would know where the local Costco was, maybe he had a membership, you know. And, but it says that he's, he's, he's testing him. He wants to teach him something here. And Philip answers in verse seven and he says to him, now 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of the people here to get even just a little bit of food. So Philip pulls out a calculator, right? And he begins crunching the numbers and he's doing a rough count of the people. And so a Roman denarius was a standard daily wage of a laborer. So an average laborer made one denarii a, a, a day. So 200 denarii would be about eight months of wages. Right? And, and he says here that wouldn't even be enough to buy just a, a crouton of bread for each person that was there. This is Philip's way of saying, Jesus, your plan is ridiculous. It's not logical. Right? Just be logical for a minute. Just use some common sense. Just, just crunch the numbers. He's just, he's just being practical. I read one guy that said, you know, every family needs a, a Philip. Every family needs a practical guy who's gonna be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
We need to crunch the numbers, right? I, if you're a family here, you know who that person is, right? The one who always wants, yeah, you're looking at them right now, right? They're always the one who wants to crunch the numbers and, and do some research and well, we haven't spent enough, we gotta do a little bit more on the internet and we'll make a pro and con list and let's be logical, let's be sensible, let's consider the facts and, and it's been said that every family needs one and I think they do and every church needs one. A church needs some, some practical people who know how to crunch numbers and, and, and look at that kind of stuff. But as, as great of a tool as a calculator and a pro and con list can be, they cannot have the final word in matters of faith and in matters of life. They, they can't. And it's one of the lessons that Jesus is teaching us here. In verse eight, now one of his disciples, Andrew, so we're moving from Philip to Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he said to Jesus, so there's a boy here, the word boy in the Greek means he was very young, a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But, and that's a right, big word, but what are they for so many people? So Andrew finds this, this young boy with a Lunchable and he's got two fish, Osperia in the Greek that means very small, like probably little salted fish that you would put on a cracker. And the five barley loaves are not like, you know, Dave's Killer Bread loaves. It's like they're these little, about this big, loaves of bread and it was barley, so it was very cheap bread, usually consumed by poor people and they would often feed it to animals. And his conclusion is this, I found some food, but come on. Let's be logical here. Let's be sensible. This isn't enough food. So Philip and Andrew do their thing. They pull out calculators. They they count the people. They're just using common sense. And they decide that there's no way to do what Jesus is asking. So the calculator is trumping the the Son of God here in their minds. To which Jesus told them, "You, you feed them. So the response is, Jesus, that's not being realistic. Just, you need to send them home. But I think about this for a minute, right? These are the same people that saw Jesus turn water into wine. These are the same people that, that saw him heal a boy from, from a distance and, and heal a paralyzed uh, man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. Right? They, they saw these things. And these are the people who look at Jesus and say, yeah, I don't, now come on, let's be sensible. Let, let's be reasonable here, Jesus. And I love Jesus, so I love his response. And one of the fun things about preparing a sermon is you just get to spend a lot of time hanging out in the text and I can hardly read verse 10 anymore without kind of laughing because his, Jesus' response to their like, we, we crunched the numbers, we had a meeting, come on, let's be sensible, Jesus. And in verse 10, he says to them, listen, have the people sit down. So we're told in the other gospel, he said, have them form groups of 50 and 100 and have everyone just sit down. Now there was much uh, grass in that place and so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. So he says have everyone sit down so we can prepare to eat because we're, we're gonna eat. And we're told there's about 5,000 men so this isn't gonna include the women and children and you know, you'll read ranges so there's probably 10 to 15,000 people that are there. And then verse 11. And then Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. So imagine the scene for a minute, all right? So they've had this meeting. It's been concluded that it's unrealistic. And um, Jesus says, everyone sit down and I'm gonna pray the blessing on the food, right? 
Yes, trumpet sound. So he, uh, so, <laughs> so he begins to pray, right? He's praying for food that isn't there. Right? He just got a few, just a little bit of, and I can imagine, can you imagine like a few of the people, like they just have one eye open, like they just want to see what's going down here, right? What is happening here? What's, what's he praying for? And so he's praying for this food. Now, if you put all four gospels together, the account you get is something like this. So he, he prays for the bread and he prays for the fish and then um, he begins to distribute it to the disciples who then took it to the different groups and somewhere along the line we're told that, that Jesus multiplied that food and the people ate as much as they wanted. So I read some really crazy accounts like if you just decide that Jesus wasn't God and if you decide therefore he couldn't work miracles, then you have to come up with some kind of explanation for what's going on here. I read some great ones. So one of the best was, uh, I read one pastor who preached to his congregation that what actually happened was Jesus and his disciples started buying up all the bread and fish in the area for a few weeks before this whole thing went down and they hid it in a cave. And then when this went down, right, he's on a mountain so he backs up next to the cave and, the, and he has a big robe. I'm not, that, this is, I'm not making this up. He has a big robe with these big arms and the disciples were getting the food out of the cave and slipping it through his arms and he was multiplying it. And like one that I heard that was, uh, I've heard a, a little more often is that actually what went down here was there was uh, a, a lot of people there that day had food but they were selfish and they didn't want to share. So, you know, they didn't offer their food, but this one boy did. So when Jesus prayed for it and blessed it and began to hand it out, all oh, the people in the crowd that had food just saw his, the example of the boy and they were moved in their hearts to be generous. And so they all, okay, I gotta admit, I have some food and they all shared it. And so the miracle was what God did in the hearts of the people, which is cool, except for the fact that it tells us that Jesus multiplied the food. This is a, a miracle and it says the people ate as much as they wanted. Like, think about that for a minute. As, as much as they wanted, the calculation was you couldn't even give them a crouton if you had 200 denarii in it. They ate as much as they wanted. It, it made me think when my three kids were young and they were just like bottomless pits, I would feel occasionally like it was a f sound financial decision to wait till my kids were super hungry that day and then take them to someplace like Izzy's. Remember when there used to be Izzy's and all you can eat places? Like, do they even exist anymore? And so we'd take our kids to Izzy's. I would make sure they were good and hungry. I'd have them run laps. And then we'd go down there and I'd pay the money and then the kids would go get food. And then they'd be, can I go back? I'd be like, yes, please. And they'd go back and go back till they just couldn't eat anymore. And it felt so good as a dad because I would just crunch the numbers and go, man, I got my money's worth, right? Like, but imagine there are thousands of people who are eating as much as they want until it says they, they had their fill. Verse 12, it says now, and when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments because we, you know, we don't want anything to be lost. And so they gather them up and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So they ended with more than they started with. Right? So Jesus not only provided more than the calculations predicted and the spreadsheets could account for, but more than the people could even consume. As one writer put it, more than they could have hoped for, more than they could have desired, more than their appetite could actually take in. 
Now remember the disciples early in the story told Jesus this is impossible, this is ridiculous and now Jesus hands each one of them a basket full of bread as kind of a reminder, next time you find yourself in a situation in the future, which they would, where they would be out declaring Jesus as the bread of life to the world and the situation felt hard, the situation felt impossible, it felt like they didn't have what it takes. Jesus says, remember what it felt like to hold that basket full of bread that you said was impossible. In verse 14 it says, now when the people saw the sign, that Jesus had done. They said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. It's a little little background here. They're talking about a prophet that was referenced, that was uh, told about back, all the way back in Deuteronomy 18. Moses told Israel that God would someday give them another prophet, really another Moses, if you will, who would lead the people in the same way that Moses had led the people out of their their bondage to Egypt, that God would, would provide one who would take them out of their bondage in the future, and they would have probably thought about the manna that God provided for them, the bread from heaven, and then as they're eating this bread, they're, they're putting all of this together. So there's a, a confluence of events, if you will, that are all happening right around this time in, in Jewish history when the people of Israel were desperate for political deliverance. Like that was the thing, they, they weren't thinking about deliverance from their sin. They wanted political deliverance for their country. And, and now the Passover feast is coming, so they're remembering God's rescuing their nation from the past, and Jesus is showing all this divine power, and they're putting it all together, like maybe this is the guy that God has for us. And so they were correct. Jesus, in fact, is the prophet who was sent by God, but, but they were not looking for a prophet that would die for their sin. They were looking for much less. They had much less expectation. They, they just wanted a king who would fulfill their agenda for him. Someone who would bring about their political desires, their, their freedom from Roman impression, uh, oppression. They wanted somebody who would revive the former glory uh, of Israel nationally. And someone who would provide for their physical needs. Someone who would provide food and, and health and, and prosperity. And so Jesus knows that that that's exactly what they want. Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So he he perceives, he he knows the hearts of of men and he knows that they want to take him by force somehow, however that would work, and and crown him king right there. But Jesus knows their hearts and he knows that the, the kind of king that they were looking for had nothing to do with the kind of king that he came to be. They had an agenda, but it was not God's agenda for him. And yes, he was the prophet sent by God, but He didn't merely do the work of a prophet who would declare the revelation of God. He was the revelation of God. There's a big difference between him and prophets. He was the revelation. You could look at him and watch him and and listen to the things he said and how he acted and reacted and all of that told us what God is like. And he didn't merely come to offer sacrifice for sin. He came to be the sacrifice for sin. And Jesus' response was was really a rebuke against the agenda of the people for him. So Jesus withdrew. As it was, one writer said, he comes to no one on their terms. 
And the irony is their agenda for him would have kept him from doing what they most needed from him, what only he could do for them, right? Thankfully, Scripture tells us earlier in John that God so loved the world that he gave his only son and nothing would derail that plan. So how do we apply this text to our our lives today? I wanna kinda wrap this up for us, knowing we're gonna spend four weeks in in this chapter. And I'm gonna give us some principles for Phillips and Andrews, if you will, but I wanna kinda first just mention, so theologically, what would we say this story is all about? And we could just say this. This miracle demonstrates that Jesus is the bread of life, which provides us with more than we could imagine, desire, or, or hope for. That would be the theological understanding of what's happening in this, this, these verses right here and in the whole chapter. But we're gonna talk um, in the next couple of weeks, not next week, but the two weeks after that, specifically about the bread of life. I wanna talk for just a minute as we wrap this up about the feeding of the 5,000 and what it teaches us about us today. And the first one is pretty obvious, but it's this. If you are a believer, God has called you to serve. In Mark 6, 37, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. They're in this situation, and the disciples, you know, they don't, they're like, just send the people home, and Jesus basically says, no, I have called you to serve the needs of the people. Now, God has a general agenda for you and what we might call a specific uh, will for you. And God's general agenda or will for you is the same it is for, for everyone. God's will is that you repent of your sin. God's will is that you believe, you trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. God's will is that you live by faith, like that'd be true for every one of us, that we would walk by faith. We know that it's God's will that uh, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. No matter who we are, we have that in common. Uh, God calls us to love our neighbor as ourself. God's word calls us to obey uh, God's word. Uh, God's will for all of us is to avoid sexual immorality. Uh, It's to take the gospel to our world. Those are some specific things that are true for all of us. And then we could think about the fact that God has a unique agenda just for you. That's different in some ways than everyone else. God has given you unique spiritual gifts and abilities that you have that no one else in this room has exactly like you. God has given you a context to use those in, a a background, so every one of you were were born at a certain time in a certain place to a particular family, right, to to relationships. Um, God has given every one of you unique opportunities. So when you put all that together, what you find is there's something very unique about you as well. God has placed you within a unique family where you can serve. Um, And maybe if you're married, he's he's given you a marriage like no other where you can serve the other person. Um, We always talk about oikos, that Greek word that means extended household. So God's given every one of us this oikos. It's like anywhere from eight to 15 relationships um, that where God has dropped you in there and, and you can minister the gospel and bless those people. And your oikos for you is different than anyone else's. God's given you a unique network of friends and maybe the school or the job where you're at and people around you who have needs. And God has called you to take the gospel, both both to the world you live in and to the world at large. 
sometimes in person, sometimes through prayer, sometimes financially. In Ephesians 2, it tells us this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What I love about that is this follows up a verse where it says, right, you have been saved by grace through faith, and it's not through works. I love how as soon as Paul says you were not saved by works, he goes on to say, but you were saved for works, right? That we are God's workmanship. God has gifted and called every believer to serve. You already knew that. Here's the second thing, though, I want to notice here, and that is it's always helpful to check the agenda. Who wrote the agenda? Who wrote the agenda for your world today, right? The point of feeding the 5,000 is not that God will provide miraculous resources for whatever crazy, ridiculous thing that you come up with and just stamp his name on it, right? Lots of people do that. That's not what's going on here. In fact, it's the exact opposite, right? This crowd had done just that. They come up with an agenda for Jesus. They stamped it and everything. And Jesus is like, what does he say? Nope, I'm not gonna do that, right? And he just withdraws from the situation. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it tells us this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Right? Most of us think we can write our agenda for our, you know, we've done this before. We can come up with a, with a plan for our life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now, I know that you are probably all incredibly intelligent uh, people who have great logic and a lot of experience and you could probably write a great agenda for your life. But he tells us all the same. Don't trust in yourselves. Don't lean on your own understanding. Lean into God. Another way to put it is, let God set your agenda. Now, over the years, I've had a lot of conversations with people who have come up to me and said, you know what, Pastor, the Lord spoke to me, and he told me, you know, I, I, go do this, or, or, or go do that. Or sometimes I've had people say, you know, God spoke to me, and he said, you know, date that person, or, or marry that, that person right there, or get involved in, in this ministry over here, or go to that particular school, or take that job, or serve over there. And I've had a lot of those conversations. You can sit down, and we can kind of talk it through and figure out, you know, where did that agenda come from? And then I've had conversations with people who have just, I'm not making this up, I'm literally people who have said to me, you know, the Lord spoke to me and said, I don't have to forgive that, that person. Like usually that comes at the end of a sermon on forgiveness. And, and you know, what people do is they'll fill the need to explain to me why this passage doesn't, you know, why doesn't it apply to them? So it usually goes something like this. I mean, I love the passage on forgiving everyone, Pastor, and I, I think generally speaking that's, that's good advice, but let me explain to you why God told me I don't have to forgive this person. Right? Or I've had people say, you know, God told me I could leave my spouse or I could lie about something. It would be okay. God would for, right, God's gonna forgive me and it'll just make my life a little simpler. I gotta cheat on this test. I, you know what? I was out really late last night doing ministry and I didn't have time to, to stay for my test and I know that God would say that ministry is more important than a test. Uh, I'll pray he'll forgive me. God said it's okay to hate my enemy. I actually had a guy one time say, God said it's okay for me to look at porn. It's a long story. But, uh, or God said it's okay to be prejudiced towards you know, these people or those people or the opposite gender or jobless people or on and on and on. If you if you challenge them, if I say, well, you know, where, how did God speak to you? What, what was the intonation of his voice? Was, was he kind of laughing when he said it? Did you find it in his word? And I, there's no Bible 
There's no wise counsel. There's no confirmation of the Spirit of waiting on the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding because your heart will lead you astray. Acknowledge God. Seek His Word. Pray. Listen to the Spirit. Seek wise counsel. Wait on God's leading and God's, God's timing. Third thing, just know that God will call you sometimes to do what you cannot do. So this is just gonna happen at times. It doesn't happen all the time. But sometimes God will call you to do something you can't do. Maybe God will call you to love someone. You know, just be like, I can't, right? I can't do it. Have you met that person? Do you, do you know what they've done to me? God's gonna call you at times to love someone that you're gonna say, I don't think I can do it. Right? Or, or, or maybe to, to forgive someone. And you're just not, I don't know that I could do that, right? Or, or, or to feed someone, or to house someone, or to clothe someone, or, or, or to serve somewhere. You know, maybe God's calling you to, to, to be a greeter at the door when people come into church and like, but I'm, I'm kind of an introvert, God. I don't, I don't really have, you know, the, the resources to do that. Or maybe, you know, work with family promise or work with kids or work with youth. And you'd be like, have you, have you met kids? Have you met youth? Do you, I, don't think I, I don't think I have the headroom for that or to work with men or women or just anywhere at all, to work anywhere in any place or to, to take the gospel somewhere. And when God leads you to do that, right, you might think to yourself, well, I don't, but I don't have, I don't have the time. I don't, I don't have the time. I always find it interesting, isn't it, how quickly we can find time when it's stuff we want to do, but I, I mean, I don't, God, I don't have the time. God, I don't have the money for that. I don't have the, I don't have the wisdom. It takes a wiser person than that. I don't, I don't have the experience for that or the, and I don't have the personality. I don't have the, the intellect or the, or the strength. And when you break out the calculator, it just it doesn't add up. There's too many cons and there's not enough pros and it seems impossible and beyond you. And, and here's the truth, it often is. I mean, there are times when God calls us to do things and you're gonna, you're gonna make the pro and con sheet and quite frankly, it's gonna look impossible because, well, that's the point, it, it is. Going back to Mark 6, 37, what did Jesus said? But you give them something to eat. They didn't have food to give them to eat. But Jesus says, but you do it. So let me ask you this, where do you feel a little bit like Andrew or Philip right now? Right? That God is calling you to do something and, and your response is like, God, it's too many people and it's not enough bread, it's, it's not enough fish. God, I don't think I can do it. And you might be entirely right. Your logic may be flawless and your calculations may be right on, but that's okay because we have one more point here, and that is this. Where God calls us, he provides. In Philippians 4.19, Paul says this, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is not a promise for God to provide miraculous resources for every crazy idea that you come up with, but for everything that God calls you to do God will give you what you need for that. Now, sometimes God will provide an advance, right? Like sometimes God might say, hey, I want you to do this, or maybe you were listening to Family Promise this morning, you're like, I have the money for that. I could do that right now. Or maybe, you know, God's been leading you recently to get involved in some ministry, you're like, I, you know, I could do that, I've, I've got it. Sometimes God provides an advance, you just have to kind of make the decision to do that. Sometimes God will give it to you as you need it, right? You gotta take the first step and then maybe he gives it to you or maybe he just gives it to you step by step as you go along. 
that you step out in faith. But here's the thing. Don't let the calculator and the pro and con list dictate how you follow Christ. I mean, use a calculator. I'm all for a pro and con list. I'm like, go for it. Do your homework. Look at the facts and know what you're up against. But sometimes God will call you to feed 5,000 people and it will just look foolish on paper to do it. But when you do it and God comes through, what will you know? You'll know that it was God. If it's God's agenda, God will provide. Jesus wants the disciples to see that no matter what they had, even when they just had the tiniest of resources, if they gave it to him, he could use it. Little is much when God is in it. So let me ask you this question. Where is God calling you to step out right now and to serve in some way? And you know, sometimes, like after the last service, people were like, Pastor, how did you know? And I'm like, I didn't know. I just know how God works. God loves to call us to use what he's given us to serve him and to serve one another. This is what I know. And I know that for many of you right now, you're just thinking of something, right? Where is God calling you to serve right now? Is it too big? Is it beyond your abilities and your resources? That's okay. Where do you need to say, all right, God, here's what I have, right? This is all I got, a little bread, a little fish, a few minutes, a few dollars, a little space, a little compassion, What practical step of faith can you take today to follow Christ into that situation? Because here's the thing. When you do it, you'll find out that God is there and God is powerful and God is good. And God is using you. God desires to use you. Well, over the next three weeks, we're gonna continue to break down this passage. It's a, it's a great one. But for now, let me, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for uh, our time this morning as we just kind of dive into this chapter that just has one story that builds upon another, but the foundation is pretty good as we think about the feeding of the roughly 5,000 men. And Father, I thank you that this was actually so important. It was recorded in all four Gospels, not something that we can ignore, something we need to pay attention to. And I I pray that we do. I, I pray that we don't just pay attention this morning to the details and the, in the context and, and some of the words, but I pray that we'll pay attention to what it is that you're saying to us this morning, what your spirit has been impressing on us, where it is that you're calling us to serve, knowing that, that every one of us are, are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Father, I pray if there's some kind of fear that's keeping us from, from stepping forward and following you into some kind of service, if there's some, some excuse, if there's something that's keeping us, that, that today we would we'd be able to cast that aside and choose faith and follow you into that, knowing that you're already there, ready to take us by the hand and walk us through that thing that from here looks impossible. But there's a miracle and, and there's great ministry on the other side. Father God, I, I pray that for every one of us that we would know that experience of following you 
and experiencing how you can use us even when we have very little to give. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, amen.